0: Good morning, everyone. Perfect. Good morning. We're glad you're here. I'm going to invite you, get everybody, to come in, find a seat as we get ready to start this morning. We're glad to be here, and I, I, I just as a as a personal note, I want to thank you for praying for my family as we were unable to be here last week, uh, overcoming some illness, and uh, regrettably wasn't able to be here to to lead the service and in, in, uh, in, uh, bringing the message, but I really appreciate Pastor Greg bringing the message unexpectedly. But we're going to start this morning, we're going to begin this morning with um, some scripture. We're going to look to the word of the Lord. We're going to look at Psalm 149, this call to praise that we have from, from the psalmist. Psalm 149 says, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the in the of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker, let the children of Zion rejoice in their King. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people, he adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory, let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, it is our desire this morning as we gather here to praise you. We want to see you high and exalted And as we come to you now. In time of worship through song, God, Lord, I pray that you would uh, orient our hearts and our minds to you, God, Lord, that we would want to see you high and lifted up. God, I pray that you would use our time in worship, Lord, to uh, draw us into your presence, Lord, to be ready to hear from your holy word. God, I just pray for your church this morning. I thank you for all that are gathered here today. Lord, to be able to be a part of this worship service, Lord, and as we lift up our voices together, God, Lord, may you be praised. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with us as we begin our uh, worship this morning as we sing I Sing the Mighty Power of God.
1: flow below makes thy glories long and clouds arise and tempests blow
0: Take some time to greet someone that maybe you haven't greeted already and just say, we're glad to see you this morning.
1: Rejoice, the Lord is King, your Lord and King adore. Mortals give thanks and sing and triumph evermore. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again. I say rejoice. Jesus the Savior, reigns. I'm God's right hand till all his foes submit and bow to his command. Amen. All beneath his feet, lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again. I say rejoice, rejoice. In I'm
2: Thou fount of every blessing To my heart to sing Thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon him, mount of thy redeeming love. I was lost in utter darkness till you came and rescued me. I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me Now my soul can sing a new song, now my heart has found a home, now your grace is ever with me, and I'll never be alone, come thou found, come thou king, come thou precious prince of thou fount of all blessing, come thou fount, come thou king, come thou precious prince of peace, hear your bride, to you we sing, come thou fount of all blessing. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be Let thy goodness, like a fetter Find my wandering heart to thee Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it Prone to be the God I love For thy courts above, come thou found, come thou king, come thou precious prince of peace, hear your bride to you we sing, come thou found of all blessing, come thou found, come thou king. Come, thou precious Prince of Peace. Hear your bride, to you we sing. Come, thou fount of all blessing. Come, thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace.
3: morning. Welcome to church this morning. My name is Mark Bates. Uh, thank you for coming. Uh, please fill out the attendance forms that are on the edges of uh, the rows and pass them down so we can uh, get an accurate counting of the attendance. Uh, thank you for those of us that are for those of you that are joining us online. Uh, good to have you with us as well. Several announcements. Today is the last day to pick up cards from the Christmas card mailbox in the back you go out the back door to the right, um, they're alphabetized, so make sure you get those picked up today. Uh, After that, it'll be put away. Uh, There's a new members class that begins today at 11 a.m. in the library. The course will run for three weeks and is open for all who are interested in becoming members of EFC Oroville. It's also a good refresher course if you've never taken it. Uh, See one of the elders if you want more information. There are also some new classes coming, new Sunday school classes coming January 30th for the Discipleship Hour. Uh, you can check them in your bulletin. I know there's one on the Minor Prophets, led by Dr. Remley and Rob Rodney, and then there'll also be one in James. Uh, looks like there's also the pastor's class. He'll be going through a journey through the New Testament. That continues today, uh, where he'll be looking at First Thessalonians, and all are welcome at those classes. Oroville Christian School, uh, the 7th and 8th graders will be traveling in about three months, to Southern Ohio to visit the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter and several other things. And they're having a fundraiser on February 4th uh, to raise money for that trip. They're having a dinner auction. Uh, Tickets are on sale. I know Jack Johansson's here. You can see him, one of the eighth graders. Uh, There's several others as well that are usually here. um, Or you can talk to me afterwards and we can get you in touch with uh, if you're interested in supporting that. Our Missionary of the Month for January is Carol Johnson. Uh, She serves the EFCA ministry to children called Global Fingerprints. Please pick up a prayer card in the missions corner today and pray for her this month. Uh, If you want to designate a gift to Carol, just mark MOM on your offering envelope. Uh, Today we are pleased to welcome to church membership Peter Sundahl. Uh, He's been approved by the elders and deacons. Yes. He's passed through his 30-day period, and so Greg is offering him the right hand of fellowship. So welcome, Peter. <laughs> Pastor Greg and the church office uh, loves to send out cards for birthdays and anniversaries. So if you'd like to be included or you need to update your information, uh, please check the clipboards at the welcome desk and give the update. The welcome desk is in the back. Uh, the offering box is in the back of the room, and it's available. If you want to designate your giving to any of the church ministries, please indicate that on the offering envelope. And thank you for your faithful and generous giving. Uh, 2021 was a great year, uh, and we're looking forward to the same in 2022. Our invocation passage for today is Psalm 145, 1 through 9. So I invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. You may be seated. As we turn to the Lord in prayer, I'll be leading us. I'll give you a a chance to reflect as we pray. So please join me in prayer. Lord, you tell us in your word in Jeremiah that there is none like you. You are great and great is is your name and might. Spend some time acknowledging the Lord for who he is. Lord, we know that we are sinners. But you have, you have made that path f- for us to become redeemed. Lord, help us to confess our sins. You've told us in James that if we f- confess our sins, he is fa- you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Lord, forgive us for the times that we do things that we shouldn't do. And forgive us for the times that we do things uh, where we don't do things that we should do. Lord, you have also called us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. As we confess our sins, Lord, cleanse us and make us holy. Lord, you also remind us in scripture that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Lord, help us to take some time to be thankful for the many blessings that you give us in our lives. Lord, you also remind us not to be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make a request known to you. So we come before you with these requests. Lord, we pray for Carol Johnson and her ministry at Global Fingerprints. Encourage her, strengthen her as she mi- ministers to orphan children around the world. Lord, as we look to the new year as a church, Lord, I ask a blessing on the people that are serving from the elders to the deacons, the pastors, the many committees, the school, empower them, strengthen them, work through them to accomplish your mission here here in Oroville. Lord, we pray for our authorities, from the national government to the state, to the county, to our city. Lord, there are many that are unable to be with us. Heal them, strengthen them, encourage them. Lord, you have blessed this church financially, spiritually. May we not take that for granted. May you continue to bless us, Lord. And Lord, as we prepare to hear from your word in a few minutes strengthen Pastor Greg, use him as your instrument as as you speak through him, open our hearts and our minds that we would receive your word, and that would change us to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you again for this morning. May you be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. As the children are dismissed. And as we, as, as Mark just prayed, as we prepare our hearts to hear from God's word, as we begin to study through the gospel of Matthew, the pastor is going to lead us through, I want us to learn this song together this morning uh, from City of Light. It's called Ancient of Days. The The prophet Daniel, in his revelatory vision, referred or referred to Christ by this name, the Ancient of Days signifying that uh, Christ's rule is unlike any other rule that we might encounter. And each verse of this song that we're going to sing in the chorus is meant to point us to a Savior who is sovereign in all things, who holds us in his hands, and, who, and in whom is our complete joy and trust. So I, 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 my prayer is that that is what you uh, experience as we sing these, as you hear these words, and as you sing them back to God, that we are acknowledging him as the ancient of days. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing this together.
1: brings. I will watch and wait for the Savior King. Let my joy complete, standing face to
0: Maybe see
4: Sarah and son at Southeastern Baptist Theological
5: Seminary and is gonna go into ministry and so we're we're delighted at how the Lord is leading them. If you finish two years you're in your third year, right? In the third year. Okay. And we were talking the other day that he is is well in the New Testament Greek. And what a joy it is to be able to study the, the Word of God and the language in which God gave it. Just the joy of being able to get closer, as it were, to the Word. Uh, I have one announcement to make before we begin this morning, and that is, you know, we, we as we talk about transition, as we talk about people coming and going and things changing, for the past uh, about two years, there's a family that has come into our lives here that have gotten actively involved and have quickly become dear to us. Involved in the worship ministry, involved in the music ministry or the the youth ministry and other places, but it is with a degree of sadness that I announced that the Lacho family will be transitioning. Uh, Paul has accepted a new position in Utah. The family is sitting over here, and they will be getting that new position on February one. So thank you for your presence with us during these past months and almost two years a blessing that you've been to all of us. I'm going to begin this morning just by recounting the words as they are found in Matthew chapter 9. If they're not going to be on the screen, just, just listen as I read them. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners but sinners. And with those words, thus began the journey of Matthew, a tax collector serving the Roman Empire, turned to a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what he experienced and learned about Jesus, he recorded for us in a book that has won the affection of believers for 2,000 years. And so today, we will begin a study ...of the gospel according to Matthew, that tax collector who became a follower of Jesus Christ, whose gospel for centuries was considered to be the the first gospel written, though scholars in recent years have given that place to Mark. Matthew writes from a vantage point of a Jew who knew rejection from his own people, and his book continues to find a place of prominence in the New Testament in the life of the church... But as we begin this study, and we'll go through a little bit of introductory material before we get into the book this morning, just so we have a feel of who Matthew is and this book that he has written for us, we begin with just a simple question, what is a gospel? Is a gospel just a biography that just gives facts and details about a person? Is a gospel intended to be an exhaustive story of a person of interest? Well, a gospel actually comes from the Greek word for good news. So the gospel is actually the announcement of good news. But specifically, as we think about what is a gospel in the New Testament, it's an organized telling of the story of Jesus, organizing his life and events into a form that the original readers, as they hear, they would understand. Who is this Jesus? What is he taught? And then how do we apply this to our lives? And that's a key point for Matthew, because all throughout this gospel, we're going to see the emphasis he places on discipleship. Discipleship. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean to walk in his steps? What does it mean to hear his words and apply them to your life? Matthew had an inside view, as it were, being one of the twelve apostles who spent three years with the master, sitting at his feet, walking beside him in his ministry, seeing him up close and in person, seeing him in action, And as a result, he has a viewpoint that only a few have that he's able to share with us and what a privilege we have to be able to sit under his tutelage for a period of time. In fact, it will take us several weeks, indeed several months, indeed don't be in a hurry to get through Matthew. We're going to take our time and see what the Lord has for us as we go by week by week. Matthew probably wrote his gospel late in the early 50s, so approximately two decades after the ascension of Jesus to heaven. He could have written it as early as the early 60s. But certainly from all that he shows us in the indications, he wrote it before 70 A.D. And the reason why I bring that emphasis is because something strategic happened in 70 A.D. with the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, the final ending, as it were, of the old covenant age. And Matthew doesn't talk about it. He keeps talking about it as a future event. And we'll talk about why that's important as we go through the gospel of Matthew. And we'll see that he has taken a lot of different material and he has organized it into blocks of teaching and examples, parables and and sermons, what it means to follow Christ, who alone can lead us to heaven. And because he was writing to a mixed audience of those of Jewish background, of Gentile background, To the Jew, he wants to show that Jesus is the light of the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the prophets, showing that all that came before points forward, and it's culminated in Jesus, who is the hope for all of which Israel desired. And to the Gentiles, he's going to affirm them in their faith that they are part of the new community. We celebrate it often at the Lord's table a new covenant in his blood, this new community of the redeemed that God is saving as he calls people out of Jewish and Gentile backgrounds. And over the course of 28 chapters, he's going to emphasize major things. We're going to learn about what the significance is of being born in Bethlehem, of being a a Galilean, of being a Nazarene, of being the king, the true king of Israel, which will be an important theme for Matthew for us to see, that Jesus was the true king of Israel, the true son of God, the true Lord of all. He's the one who has brought in the kingdom of God in a powerful way. And we'll see that this kingdom has been brought in initially, inaugurated, if you will. We, We taste it in part now. But anticipation builds as we wait for the fullness of the kingdom to come with the second coming of Christ. And so we'll see this now and not yet tension that is there, that we've received in part what one day we will receive in full. And you'll know if you have been around with us for a while that it has been a burden of mine to help us see Christ in all of Scripture, to be those disciples on the road to Emmaus as we look at The Old Testament, as we look at the Psalms, as we look at the prophets, that they give us signs and symbols that point forward, and that Jesus was saying he was the one that would fulfill all of that, that is a key point for Matthew that he wants us to understand. He shows us how to interpret the Old Testament in light of the new, how we can see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all for which Israel longed over many centuries. And Jesus will go to great lengths to recapitulate, as it were, the history of Israel, to be that perfect, obedient son of God that Israel failed to be. And so Jesus will be the true son of God who doesn't sin in the wilderness or rebel against God, the perfect son who does not succumb to temptation in the garden, who trusted the Lord at every turn, and who fulfilled all that was lacking in Israel. And we'll see how does that happen. Because Matthew does some unique things with the Old Testament text under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of a type or a shadow or a direct fulfillment of a prediction or some type of symbol that points forward. And we'll look at that as we look at these individual subjects. But Matthew was a brilliant writer. He was an insightful scholar who knew the Old Testament scriptures and who knew Christ and who saw how They interacted one with another. And there's some interesting things along the way. Uh, We'll see the interplay that takes place. And this, we have to know a little bit of the geography of Israel at that time. There was Galilee that was in the north. There was Judea that was in the south. And they were separated by Samaria. And so even though the people of Galilee and the people of Judea were all Israelites, because of the separation, different words. Traditions, customs, dialects developed. And so there was often competition between those in Galilee and those in Judea. And that shows up at different places. And so the tension comes from the beginning when Jesus is called a Nazarene, coming from Galilee. And yet, because he's the son of God, he must fulfill his mission in Jerusalem, which is in Judea. And we'll see some of that drama that plays out as we look at the text from beginning to end that culminates with, Take this word everywhere. And that's another key theme in Matthew. The word for church. In fact, it's only in the Gospel of Matthew that the word church appears among the Gospels. Ecclesia, that Greek word means the gathering. And that's important for what Jesus is doing as he gathers the disciples and trains them and then sends them out that they will produce, as it were, gatherings in the different nations around the world. So with all that as a brief introduction to this exciting gospel, we want to turn to our text. And we're going to start, perhaps for something that hasn't happened here in quite a long time, is I'm actually going to read a genealogy. Because it's the Word of God. And we believe that every word is inspired and given by God the Holy Spirit. So I invite you to stand as we begin our study in the Gospel of Matthew with how he began it, with a genealogy as we read the first 17 verses. And the Holy Word of God says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah And David was the father of Uriah, was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asa. and Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jochaniah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jochaniah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor. And Azor the father of Zadok and Zadok the father of Achim and Achim the father of Eliud and Eliud the father of Eleazar and Eleazar the father of Matan and Matan the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon, to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, Father, as we've read your word, this is not a word we usually read. But as you have given it to us, and it's part of your good design, would you teach us now through it this morning as we sit under its authority and as we turn to you in Jesus' name, amen. So as we follow along, we see that it all begins. We must believe that Matthew has spent a great deal of time thinking about what he is going to write about Jesus and how. He chooses very carefully the words and the works that he wants to emphasize. And as we move along, we will see that there's great organization. There was intentionality. There was purpose in how he put together every aspect of this book. In fact, there's five major sections That after Jesus gives a series of teachings that goes on, it ends something like this. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, and then it moves on to another major section. Matthew is going somewhere. His early audience would have understood what he's doing. It's a masterpiece of ancient literature. And if we understand that a gospel is an organized writing of the life and events of Christ, we'll understand that each of the gospel writers does this. They have their personalities that we see. They have their intentions about why they're writing. They have their audience to whom they are writing. And that's what makes each book a unique contribution to our understanding of who Jesus is and what he has given us. And aren't we glad that we have it? If we would compare Jesus, as it were, to a diamond, a nicely polished diamond, and you hold it up to the bright light and you tilt the diamond, change the angle, And let the light hit it in just a different way. As we hear the contributions of these different gospel writers, we get a fuller picture of the beauty of Christ. And so we're glad that we have these different points of view. Well, it all begins with the genesis of Jesus. As we have seen, the book begins with a genealogy. Now, those of us that live in Western cultures, we're not usually attracted to genealogies. In fact, if we're honest, when we get to those points in the Bible, we may allow our eyes to physically fall across the page, just look at it, look, and quickly move on to get to the good stuff. Right? But we need to consider the importance of genealogies and how all throughout biblical history, God was keen on making sure good records were kept on how he was working, through whom, and when, and what circumstance, through what tribe, through what family, Through what situation? In fact, it's really common today for cultures to be very interested in the genealogies. I heard a story recently by Dr. R.C. Sproul was talking about a Bible translator, and he, he gave the name of the country that the Bible translator had gone to and was beginning to translate the New Testament. And for several years labored in this village preparing the New Testament, but there was no response. And then he went back, and he translated the genealogies. And he sat down with the village chief and the leaders, and he began to read from the genealogy. And the people started listening with rapt attention. And when he got done, the chief said to him, So you're telling me that this Jesus was a real person? And by hearing that he was a real person rooted in history, the village chief and eventually the whole village became followers of Christ. You see, our God is a God of space and time who operates in space and time in very real human relationships. And whenever we come across a genealogy in the scriptures, we should ask the question, what's it there for? Because it's not an accident. God has designed that it be there to be a teaching tool at that particular time in the history of what he gives us. And so we begin with what's the the ESV translated as the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And we may ask the question, why does he begin with a genealogy? I've already given you one possible reason, and that is because most cultures in the world actually are interested in a genealogy. They want to know their family lines. They want to know their history. Now, we who have been thrown together as an amalgamation of peoples here in the United States, we maybe have lost a little bit of the importance of that. But for most people in the world, they have not. But what what else, how would it affect you if I told you that the Bible that Jesus used in Greek, the exact same Bible that we have today in the Old Testament, was organized differently because in fact it was. In our organization of the scriptures today, we have Malachi as the last book and that was a decision that was made in the second century when they translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek and we follow that order today. But for the Jews, the last book of their Bible at the time of Jesus was not Malachi, though it was included in their Bible. Their last book was the book of Chronicles. They combined First and Second Chronicles into one. And how does the book of Chronicles begin? With nine chapters of genealogies. To show how God had been working through people, what the connection was from the beginning as the covenant promises were coming, through whom they were given, what was the promises, where were the boundary lines, how it all would fit together. So here we have Matthew, the tax collector, who wants to share with his people who Christ is, knowing that the book that they have, the last book began with a genealogy, begins his book with a genealogy, to root the Messiah and history in their minds. So they to oh, what is God doing? And so we, we get an understanding then about the importance of genealogies. And we may not be drawn to them, but they were important to the people of Jesus' day, and they should be important to us. And another reason, just on a practical sense, is when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it is not you and Jesus alone somewhere. You join the family of God that means you become part of God's family tree as it were and you then see that this is actually your story. This is how God has been working down through the ages to bring the gospel that came to you and now how are you going to be the one that continues going forward? And so we can look at this and say, "Oh, well, I'm I, I'm the recipient. I'm the blessed recipient of promises that were given through these lines." That's all by grace. But I can say, yeah, I'm, I'm now part of this story. And so if I want to know what's happening with the family, well, then I've got to look at the history of the family. So we look at this organization of names. And Matthew clearly tells us that he's organizing it into three sections of 14 generations. And what is clear is that David is a pi- pivotal figure. In fact, for those that like to uh, look at numbers in the Bible or how they take letters and give them numerical value, the root of David's name actually adds up to 14. And so there are some that think that, Dave, uh, that Matthew is giving a signal to his Jewish readers, look, David is really critical to all of this, and in fact it is as he gives his three uh, generations that he picks and chooses. And in fact, he does pick and choose names. There are names that we might be surprised he leaves out. We're not going to go into an exhaustive description of that this morning. But Matthew intentionally chose the names that are here and skipped over many others. Maybe names that we would have put in were we the ones that wrote this. And the word that is translated for the book of the genealogy in in verse 1 actually is geneseos. And perhaps you hear the word genesis because that's actually the root of that word. Genesis, which means beginnings. Genesis, which means origins. (coughs) Oh,
4: sorry. I need a drink of water. Sorry.
5: Matthew begins with the origins or the beginnings of Jesus. <coughs> I find that interesting. It's like he wants his people of his day to recognize, look, something new is happening, a new era, as it were, and God's redemption history is taking place. <coughs> so what will this Genesis lead to? Well, he immediately lets us know that there are some results. There's the fulfilling of promises. So he says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Isn't that interesting? Why would he reverse the order? Didn't Abraham come first? Why did he say David? Well, I think there's some reasons why he's doing that. Of course, we know his name to be Jesus. Matthew will use that mainly throughout his gospel. But this is one of the few times that actually the two words Jesus Christ appear together. In the Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew. But he starts out with great intention and says the origins of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. Now, next week, when we look at the birth of Jesus, we will learn again that his name means Yahweh is salvation. Or Yahweh saves. It was a common name, of course, in Matthew's time, but his meaning carries great imp- importance. <clears throat> so as the son of David, he will be the ruling king and the fulfillment of the promise to Israel. And as one of the promises that comes through over and over again in the Gospels, Matthew is the kingdom of God. So he starts off by putting David first. He's, he's given an indication. He's writing to Israel. But as the son of Abraham, he is also the one who will be the promise of blessing to all nations. God had made a covenant with Abraham while he was still a Gentile that his seed will be a blessing to all the nations. You see that in Genesis 12, Genesis 17, reaffirmed in Genesis 22. And that that promise will come true one day. So, with the coming of Jesus, Matthew is indicating that day has arrived. And we see that there's particularity and there's universality, if you will, in these promises. You see, the people of Israel had been commanded to be a light to the nations. They were intended to proclaim the glories of God to the nations. But they committed one of two errors again and again and again. First, they would withdraw into a cocoon, thinking that if somehow they just avoided any interaction with the outside world, that somehow they would stay pure. Or secondly, they'd go to the other extreme, they would get so entangled with the affairs of the nations around them that they compromised. And those two tendencies the people of God have fought against ever since. There are those who want to flee to the hills and just get away from everything and be in a cocoon and just wait till Jesus comes back. And there are those who think we should be so deeply engaged that after a while they compromise their gospel witness. We can't do either. We need to be those who are aggressively involved with the culture without compromise. Because if we don't go out and preach the gospel... Paul, will they hear? And so we see promises that will be fulfilled specifically to Israel, promises that will be fulfilled among the nations. And so we'll see that the the Gospel of Matthew makes it clear that Jesus is for all who will believe, both Jew and Gentile. It all begins. Our second major point then is what's in a name? We've already said that genealogies were important to the Jewish people, they wanted to know their family lines. They wanted to know their territories. They wanted to know whom was related to whom because promises were given to different tribes, and they wanted to see the fulfillment of those promises. And so Matthew is selectively putting together his list of names. He even skips over people to make his case. And so we have a list of good guys and bad guys. I mean, there really is a rogues gallery here among the names. He has organized them into three names of 14 He doesn't tell us why he chose 14, he doesn't tell us why he chose those names, so we just say he did. And it keeps uh, book writers busy trying to figure out the er the reason why. Now what we may not notice is that one of the list of generations actually only has 13 names. There's some fudging we can do to get it to 14, but I don't see this as an error on Matthew's part. He's got a bigger picture in mind. He's trying to show that God was organizing and working all things together that would culminate in the arrival of Christ. He lists 15 kings in this list, some of them very good, some of them not, because he wants Israel to understand that Jesus is the king. So what was happening then during these three sections? Why would he organize at least the three sections the way he did? Well, we can see what happened in the history of Israel, the history of God's people. We can see that from Abraham to David, God was working out his promises, promises that there would be a blessing to the nations, promises that there would be land, promises that there would be a king. And he's orchestrating things so that, in a sense, things are on the, up, the, up, the upward climb, moving towards promises fulfilled. But, then, but when we get from David to the exile we see that it's a time of great moral decline in Israel, and this is the time when a lot of the prophets are speaking and saying, turn back to the covenant promises, repent from your sins, turn away from your wicked ways, and God's judgment comes in, which eventually leads to even his own people being put out of the land. When we get to the third phase from the deportation to Christ, the time of fulfillment is coming again. There's organization and structure in everything that Matthew does, He gives us good guys like Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Boaz or David or Hezekiah. He has a few good kings mentioned. He gives us some bad guys like Ahaz or Rehoboam or Manasseh. But a lot of what we see are compromised guys. Jehoshaphat, Judah, Solomon, Uzziah. We might even add David. We could even add Abraham. The whole point is that it, it will not be, the attention will not be drawn to these list of names. It will be drawn to the name who comes through this list of names. David uh, Matthew has made his choices. He wants to see that this is all God's doing. He puts some good guys and some bad guys. And in what would be amazing to the Jewish people of his day, he even includes women in the list. And there are some interesting women in the list. Tamar and Rahab were most likely Canaanites. Ruth was a Moabite. Bathsheba was most likely a Hittite because she was married to Uriah, who came from that tribe. So Matthew is including potentially four Gentile women in his list of genealogies, three of whom would have had a suspected moral past, shall we say. Can I get a feel of what Matthew's trying to do here as he includes all these different lists? Tamar. Well, Tamar seduced her father-in-law, acting as a prostitute because the father would not keep the promise of giving his third son to her as a husband. She was guilty, but out of that came a line that continues down to the Messiah. Rahab, was a prostitute in Jericho. She was the one that protected the spies who went to scope out the land and reading between the lines of her interaction with the spies and then what we see in Hebrews chapter 11, it seems at some point she became a believer in the God of Israel. And somehow she's connected to Boaz, who is a key player in the book of Ruth. Bathsheba, well, we know about Bathsheba and her tryst with King David who then tried to cover it up by having her husband killed. She was a a victim of abusive power, but she was also guilty. And yet here she is as the mother of Solomon, included in this rogues gallery of actors in the line of the Messiah. And the fourth woman, Ruth, was not immoral in her own actions. We looked at that when we studied the book of Ruth, though there was definitely some suspenseful moments as she visited Boaz on the threshing floor in the middle of the night. Because as we know, the context was one that on the threshing floor during the harvest season, that's where prostitutes would frequent men. But though she was kept pure, the Moabite women had a terrible reputation because in their interaction with the men of Israel throughout their history, they had misled them. So isn't it interesting the inclusion of these four Gentile women who show up at pivotal periods of time in the history of Israel? And are used of God to keep the storyline going forward. What we see in that, in just a list of names, is Abraham understands that the promise given to Abraham, that the seed of Abraham would be a blessing to all nations, really would go out to all nations. And it's always been God's design to save people from all over. Especially those that Israel thought were unworthy of grace and mercy, which includes all of us. And also included all the Israelites. None are worthy of grace and mercy. But they can receive it in Christ. And so we see that God is arranging things. If If you were to put together a list, let's say that it was your task. You were going to write a gospel to show the greatness of Christ. Is this the list of names you would put together? I mean, we might look at this list and we would say... What kind of a savior would come through such a sinful line? What kind of ancient genealogy would include women in it? Because the Jews didn't. The surrounding nations didn't. They especially wouldn't include women who were of ignoble reputation. What kind of a savior would come through such a sinful line? A savior who cares about all kinds of people and who came to save sinners. When we look at this line... And we know the history of some of the men and women behind it. We see that this is really a crooked family tree. But Matthew intentionally, as he talks about the genesis of Jesus the Christ and how God is working all of it, if we want to be a little poetic in our conclusion here, we would say that this crooked family tree points to the need of the tree of Calvary upon which the Savior would come and hang. Matthew does not intend for us to praise this messianic line. Matthew intends for us to praise the one who will come through this messianic line because when we get to the very next story, we are given the reason why he comes and that you will call him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And so we see from the story of these men and women, they were sinners, they needed to be saved from their sins and their lineage needed to be saved from their sins and this kind Savior comes. And he will save his people from their sins. As the New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says, Grace does not run in human blood. God's providence cannot be deceived or outmaneuvered by the actions of men. God will use his means to push forward his plan for his glory. Now, in verse 2, we see that, Ju- that Judah is mentioned, and you notice it says, Judah and his brothers. That's not said very often. I think this is a reminder to the first Jewish readers of Matthew's gospel that, in fact, they were all descendants of the sons of Jacob, but that it was only through Judah would come the lion, the one who would be given the scepter, the one who would rule with power and authority. And so at every turn, Matthew is showing that Jesus... That Jesus was the one who would come through a kingly line to be the true king of Israel and the only savior of the nations. And that will have an impact that is both particular and universal, both for Israel and for the nations, both for men and for women, both for Jews and for Gentiles, for the high and mighty and the low and poor, the, the poor and lowly. All throughout his gospel, as Matthew has chosen those things that Jesus has said, that Jesus has done, it will be with the idea to make clear that the gospel is for all people. And he begins even with that idea in subtle form and introductory form in the genealogy itself. And we'll find that this promise of the son of David will be fulfilled again and again in Matthew. The promise of the son of Abraham will be fulfilled again and again, even as early as chapter 2, where the Gentiles come and worship Jesus. So that brings us then to the divine passive. What do I mean by the divine passive? It almost seems contradictory. Well, if, if we look through this list, we, we see 40 times something along the lines of begetting. The ESV translated as, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. So, and so. so 49, 40 times we have this idea of so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. And the first 39 are in the active voice. And there's only one exception to how this word is used, and that's in verse 16. And as we look at verse 16 and we get down to and Jacob, the father of Joseph... He's not called the father of Jesus. He's called the husband of Mary. And then the, 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 the form of the preposition is in the feminine, to whom was born the Christ. There's something different about the conception of Jesus that Matthew draws attention to just in the way he explains the genealogy. And, of course, he'll make it clear in the next section that we'll get to next week. But that's why scholars refer to this as the divine passive, that this begetting did not come about as the active participant of any man, but was something that God did upon a a woman who had accepted the will of God and would become the one who would carry Jesus, who is called the Christ. And that's how Matthew ends his declaration, by saying, the Christ is here. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, that becomes so common to our ears that we risk not seeing how earth-shaking this declaration would have been in the first century. We're so used to hearing the Christ has come that we forget that for centuries the Jewish people longed for the Messiah to make his appearance, that there were dark days in the history of Israel and their depravity and their disobedience and the rebellion against God. And here Matthew drops this line at the beginning of his gospel where he's going to present the truth to the Jewish people and says that this Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God. The first reaction that these Jewish readers would have had after hearing about the genealogy and the connections to David and the connections to Abraham and how God was arranging through all of these kings and rulers and men and women, and now this one who would be born to Mary, who is Jesus the Christ, would be, how can this be? And so that's the question then that Matthew will answer as we get to the next section. Where he'll talk about not only how did this Christ come to be, but what kind of Christ will he be? And then he'll be off and running through the rest of the book as he shows the impact that this Christ has and the interaction he has with with the people around him and the impact that it should continue to have in our lives and hopefully beyond our lives to those that are around us. So we've seen this morning in a look at genealogies, that it all begins, that, that Christ was the promise of God, and he's a genesis, as it were, of this new creation that would come in the new covenant, with that what's-in-a-name, with that God is arranging all things, to a land and a people that was suffering from occupation, from a corrupt priesthood, and had no prophet for 400 years, Jesus came to be the fulfillment of all that Israel longed for, the ultimate priest, the ultimate prophet, the ultimate king. And throughout this gospel, Matthew will show how Jesus tells the truth, how Jesus makes arrangements for the forgiveness of sins, and how the kingdom of God has been inaugurated and is building, but we wait for the day when it will be fully consummated at the return of Christ. In the words of Daniel Doriani, Jesus fulfills the role of the Sabbath by giving true rest to his people. He fulfills the role of the temple, for in him God and mankind meet. And he is the great judge of all, knowing every thought and deed and forgiving every misdeed if one asks for mercy, believing that this Jesus can grant it. So at the beginning of his gospel, in subtle form that will become clearer and clearer and clearer, Matthew makes it clear that the work of God and redemption is all of grace, all the time, under the initiative of God for his glory and the fulfillment of his purposes. And we'll have a chance to look that not everyone that was even directly associated with Jesus, even in his own family, always believed what he said. Just like this crooked line that we saw, this crooked tree, there were many that opposed the ways of God, and yet God used them There will be those even in the life of Christ who will oppose him, but God's plans will go forward. So as we anticipate then, how will this come about, that this Messiah was born, looking at our text next week, what are some lessons we can draw as we begin our study in the Gospel of Matthew, even from the genealogies? Well, first, that God directs all things for his glory. I commend to you the song that we sang just before he came up here, He is the Ancient of Days. If you have access to the internet, go home this afternoon and, and follow the service again, or at least find that place where we sing that song and meditate on the truths of the word. He is the Ancient of Days and what that means, that God directs all things for his glory. Secondly, God can use anyone. If he can use a prostitute in Jericho, and he can use a Moabite, And he can use a deceitful daughter-in-law. By his grace and for his glory, no one is outside of his grace and reach. Thirdly, God is bringing in people from all over to be part of his family. And what will become clear in the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus is forming the church over which he is the head. And it is the new family, as it were, a spiritual family into which We are born into which we are grafted and that that family, those family relationships are to take priority over every other. Because Jesus has said that he is the ultimate shepherd of his sheep and we are not worthy of him if we forsake, if we do not forsake all others for him. And as we learn what that means and how we can live it out and the challenge that it is to live as a community for God. We need to pray for one another, we'll learn from one another, we'll study and brush up against one another, because we want to be this church that Jesus has come to start and has brought us into. So may our anticipation grow of the greatness of this one, born of Mary, that we will get to know more and more in the Gospel of Matthew. Let's take a few moments. As we are here at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew in a study that we will be in for quite some time, in the quietness of your heart, pray for yourself, pray for your family, pray for the teaching of this series to go forward in your life and their life beyond this church into other places because our desire is to draw closer to Christ and to reflect him more as a community of those who belong to him. And after you've had a few quiet moments, just praying in your heart. I'll close our time in prayer. Father, into the darkness of a lost and sinful world. 2,000 years ago, you sent your Son to be the light of the world. And Father, as we are at the beginning of a series looking at Matthew's explanation of all that took place, we are so needy for you to guide us and to lead us. Father, I pray that you would Cause us to resist the temptation to think this is just the same old, same old, but recognize that we are hearing from the living God and that there's so much more that we can learn if we have life and breath yet in which to learn it. Father, you're going to challenge us. You're going to encourage us. You're going to build us up. You're going to bring us face to face with your holiness. And then you're going to show us as well again and again the beauty of your grace. And so, Father, we dedicate ourselves to you, and we dedicate this study to you, and we pray that it would be a season of tremendous growth spiritually, relationally, in our relationship with you, that you would be glorified, that we would be faithful in your service, that we would serve you well and declare you well to those around us. And Father, just as the Spirit stirred as Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago, may you stir us and stir our city and stir our community toward a spirit of holiness and service that can only come from you and that would only bring glory back to you. So, Lord, we are your people, and this is your word. In the months to come, would you help us to understand it when you teach it, as your spirit gives the enablement and as Jesus is lifted high, in his name we pray, and we commit ourselves. Amen.
0: As we've seen that everything throughout history points us to Christ, we're going to close out our service and look to the, the, his throne. There is a higher throne. His throne is the highest throne, and we're going to sing that. I invite you to stand as we close uh, out our service and worship.
2: Their thunderous anthem rings through emerald forts of Sapphire sky. is right all glory, wisdom, power, strength, thanks, and honor are to God our King, who reigns on high forevermore, all glory.
5: it a joy to be with you in the house of the Lord this morning. We're getting out a little bit early, so take advantage of the time you have to fellowship with other believers in Christ, and I will begin the class at 1045, since we're starting a little early this morning. But I'm going to stay down front, perhaps as we're here at the beginning of 2022, you feel the need to just come and discharge a burden and lay it at the Lord's feet. Let's go to the Lord together. I'll be glad to greet you down front as our service comes to the end. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Let us go in peace. Have a wonderful Lord's Day.